Hey there, I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Two of my go-tos to make sure I'm getting the perfect recipe for everything from meatballs to muffins. They're pros who obsess over techniques and essential ingredients, so you learn everything you need to create your perfect recipe. You can finally be excited to eat what you make, and maybe even impress your friends and family. Help us welcome the newest show to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform starting February 26th. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, home of the Name Your Price tool. You say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. It's easy to start a quote. Visit Progressive.com to get started. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to This Day in Esoteric Political History from Radiotopia. My name is Jody Avergan. This day, December 11th, 2008, Bernie Madoff is arrested at his New York City apartment, his New York City luxury apartment, and he's charged with masterminding a long-running Ponzi scheme. It was later estimated to involve around $65 billion all told, making it one of the biggest investment frauds in Wall Street history. I think December 2008 was when a lot of regular folks heard Madoff's name for the first time, but within certain circles, he was very well known. His reputation was quite good among those with a lot of money to invest. And that's because his boutique investment firm provided consistently astronomical returns, so astronomical that they were too good to be true. They were only possible through immense fraud. And as we would learn, it wasn't just high-end investors who were fleeced by Madoff, but also universities, charities, lots of regular folks who had entrusted their savings to people in the Madoff world, even if they didn't know who Madoff himself was. So let's talk about the arrest of Bernie Madoff, the collapse of his Ponzi scheme, the fallout, and whether we've learned any lessons in the years since what lessons those might have been. Nikki is shaking her head. No. Uh, <laughs> that is Nicole Hammer of Vanderbilt and Kelly Carter-Jackson of Wesley. Hello there. Hey there. <laughs> Hello, Jody. I was just doing the math and 65 billion. That's one and a half Twitters. There you go. How many FTXs is it? Um, all right. So there are, let's, let's do the details of this arrest and this scheme. Um, do we need mm-hmm. to explain what a Ponzi scheme is? I mean, people oh, sure. generally... I mean, well, yeah. well, you know, it's named after Charles Ponzi, who in oh, the 19-teens wow. and back. 1920s, uh, he was a Italian immigrant and uh, did this thing, right, where you... Uh, have people buy in i mean it's basically like a pyramid scheme right like you and you Mm -hmm. promise them returns on their investments and the people who get in early actually get those returns and the people who are at the bottom of the pyramid end up holding the bag and get nothing at all um so it's just a money circulation scheme yeah none of the money is actually real you're using the Mm -hmm. new investments to pay off the old payouts and you hope that the cycle can keep going and keep going and you know i think One of the things about a Ponzi scheme, if you're going to take one on, which I don't think you should, but I think generally Ponzi schemes 101 is they should happen fast, right? Grab as, get as much money as you can and then get out of Dodge. You've got to be on a boat back to Italy by the time they figure out what's happening. (laughs) And you got to hope nobody wants to cash in early, right? Right. (laughs) But Madoff, right? This Ponzi scheme, among the many things that's that's crazy here is this is a decades long Ponzi scheme. So it's like kind of violating 
Ponzi scheme 101 at some basic level. And it really was like a straightforward Ponzi scheme. He had investors give him money. He put it in a bank account. And if if those investors wanted to withdraw any of their fantastical returns, he would just withdraw it from the same bank account. And he wasn't investing any of it, which is yeah. a wild thing to to do. This is what, what kills me is that like, he started off with legitimate yeah. operations. Yeah. Like, like he was legit in the beginning. And then, you know, over time, he started to become more and more corrupt. Um, and I think that the craziest thing about this Ponzi scheme is that like, Everybody kept getting returns. Everybody got growth. Everybody was like, oh my gosh, this is a fantastic plan in which people just kept getting more and more profits. Um, but that's not how investing works. There are always busts and booms. There's always right. moments where you lose something here or there. But if we go back to the beginning of the story, um, the Ponzi scheme begins in the early 1990s. And yes, it is true that there are boom and bust cycles. But coming out of that recession, there was a sharp recession um, in 91, 92. But coming out of that, the stock market starts to slowly climb. And it would climb, and it would climb, and it would climb. Housing prices at the point start to climb and climb and climb mm -hmm. and there are busts right like there's the dot-com bust in the early 2000s yep. but if you take a step back and look at the larger scheme of things there really was like a decade and a half two decade long bubble and people were making money hand over fist and not just really wealthy people like if your parents bought a house yeah. in the early 1990s they were ending up by like the mid-2000s with a significant amount of intergenerational wealth and moreover the financial industry was getting more and more complex there was more securitization mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and bundling and all these gimmicks and and tricks that we'd come to to learn but you know for a while they were seen as oh you know investment has been perfected and it's been optimized and we've really figured this out how to crank up those returns and so you know this is a big theme for this whole story as i see it but it's like the pretty paper thin line between the quote unquote legitimate securitization of the financial industry and optimization of the financial industry and the outright fraud and obviously madoff yeah. is on a very clear side of that line but i think it gets pretty blurry as you move um around in that world and so i think part of why he was able to fleece people in this way was because we had convinced ourselves that astronomical returns are now the norm because the wizards of wall yeah. street like bernie madoff have it figured out one one little note, and then we can talk about why this all comes crashing down, but one little note that you just sort of mentioned in passing, Nikki, which is amazing to me, is that he was doing this in a Chase business banking account. I have a Chase <laughs> business banking account. And, you know, this is part of the story when there's a fallout. It's like, why the heck didn't Chase notice this en enormous banking account with billions of dollars flowing in and out? But, like, it's just incredible to me that it was just a straight-up yeah. banking account. Like, did he have... An ATM card? They give you an ATM card when you open a Chase bank account. Did he have one of them? I know, but it just seems crazy because he's also like purchasing, you know, boats and multiple homes and, you know, really expensive jewelry and like all of these luxury items. Like it sort of blows my mind that nobody was like, this feels wild. This feels weird at the very least. There actually was somebody who was looking at this because the returns that Madoff was advertising were astronomical. And people 
understood, at least some people in the industry understood that they were out of the ordinary and there was something wrong here. And um, there was a, a private financial fraud investigator, Harry Markopoulos, who had been warning the Securities and Exchange Commission since the late 1990s again and again, yeah. something does not smell right here. Mm, especially when all of the charts like go straight up. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's like, there's no variation. No. They're just like straight on a constant climb. That to me just feels like really, there's there's never a lull. There's, there's never a little drip. Like that just is wild. So uh, let's talk about how this comes crashing down. And then the, in the fallout, we can talk about who some of these investors were. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, in terms of how it comes crashing down, I mean, you know, this is, Late 2008, remind us what is going on in the world of finance in late 2008. Gosh, I mean, it's the financial crisis of the decade. I mean, you're thinking about the housing crisis is also something that people have been like, you know, predicting for Mm -hmm. a long time that the housing bubble was going to burst. Just what Nikki was talking about earlier about how you bought your house in the 90s. Well, if you bought your house on these like subprime loans, these really predatory loans, that particularly hurt black and brown people, all of that's coming apart. All of the big major um, banking industries that we think of are falling apart in this moment. The, the automotive industry is falling apart. Everything is in crisis mode. And it's also during an election year. I think that's yeah. noting as well that 2008 is just has has a lot going on and people are feeling um, very. Insecure. And you have places like AIG and Lehman Brothers and these mm-hmm. sort of towering institutions within the finance world that are shutting down. They're collapsing yeah. under the weight of this financial collapse. And because folks aren't sure where this is going to end, there are investors who go to Madoff and they say, we we need to pull our money out. Like, we'll put it back in some other time, but you know, we don't know where this is going to end. While we still have some profit, let's pull this out. And they were eventually pulling out so much money that Madoff is looking at his Chase Bank account statement. I'm sure he's logging mm-hmm. on to his little personal finance site and realizing that- they didn't have an app at that that's point. That's right. They have a smartphone, so he's on his desktop computer, realizing that he doesn't have the money and he is going to get caught. This is what's so funny or interesting or just whatever about this, that the money actually wasn't tied up in securities or housing or in the collapse of Lehman Brothers. It was sitting in, you know, it just tied up in his boats or any of it there was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, it's this funny yeah. thing where I wonder if he ever thought, had this thought of being like, well, actually, don't worry about the financial collapse all around us because your money was never there in the first place. Uh, <laughs> yeah, about that money. But you didn't lose it course. in a crash. You lost it at my yacht club. <laughs> So, so the yeah. the financial collapse was the precipitating event that led people to ask for mm-hmm. their money back. Mm-hmm. But th- yes. but this Ponzi scheme came apart in the way that all Ponzi schemes come apart, which is just more people ask for their money back at the same time, and then you mm-hmm. can't pay them all out, and it collapses in that way. Um, and one other thought on just kind of the timing of all this. I mean, obviously, like as we described, it's related to the financial collapse. But you know, sometimes I read back to these stories, and it's just amazing how much how compressed this was, you know? And mm-hmm. I mean, 2008 is when I first started really sort of covering journalism and I was like, but I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, you, you know, September, October, November, and this is early December. It's like mm-hmm. the number of things that happened there, including an election, it's just wild. And obviously they're all related and they all played out in relation to each other. But sometimes you just realize like, that was four months. And this yeah. Madoff thing, and I think Madoff made a big, big splash, but at the time, there were just so many other big things to try and focus yeah. on. 
Well, I think it's in the context of this financial crisis in which there were a lot of players who had done a lot of things Mm -hmm. that really sat on the borderline of legal and illegal. And I think so much of the frustration that would follow is that it's basically only Bernie Madoff who goes to jail. Not just him, but like, you know, it's this scheme where folks end up facing prison. And otherwise, the banks are too big to fail. All of the CEOs are taking their giant bonuses with them that are being paid out by taxpayers. Mm -hmm. Like, there was a lot of anger going around. But a straight up Ponzi scheme gives you something to just point at and be like, well, that's that's wrong. He's the poster child, you know? So you, I mean, I remember watching this coverage on the news and he was walking down the street, I think, in front of his building, and, and people tried to, like, attack him. There were people who were trying to throw stuff at him. I mean, they were super upset. And I think that in some ways, he was a person that you could kind of get your hands around a little bit. Like, you couldn't really do that for all of these big banks, because who's responsible or where do you draw the line? But, like, with Madoff, I mean, he became a household yeah. name. Um, and, and one where in which people were furious um and and all that goes down right around december 10th to the 15th or so of 2008 december 10th is when he goes to his sons and basically says this is what i've been up to for the last 20 years or so um his sons and his brother yeah and they and he says give me 24 hours to get my uh affairs in order and they say no they just immediately go to their lawyers and then to the fbi and the next morning he answers the door in his pajamas and there's fbi agents outside and all hell breaks loose um let's talk about the tentacles here i mean i think a lot of people focused on the sort of the elite and the super wealthy who had put money in and there were you know the new york post had a field day with all the celebrities and all of the sort of big names at least in the finance world who were getting duped here but also as i mentioned in the intro into some other circles like institutions charities and then regular folks mm-hmm. yeah for me it was the um it's the pensions mm-hmm. that i think from from hard-working people who thought they had saved up for decades to be able to retire and can't it's the nonprofits. A lot of Jewish federations and hospitals lost millions of dollars. Some people had to close their doors after this. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty intense. It's not just uh, the good old boys with yachts who yeah. lose a couple yeah. million. You know, this is um, has huge consequences for people who thought that they could retire, who thought that they had a nice, you know, nest egg, and now they have nothing. Those are the ones that stood out to me too, Kelly. First of all, mm. you you lost the savings of Ellie Wiesel, who survived the Holocaust just so that you could, mm. like, steal his money. Ooh. Mm. But then also just the people who, you know, were maybe in their 60s and they were getting ready to retire. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know that they were investing yeah. in a Ponzi scheme that Bernie Madoff was running. Some of them had never heard mm-hmm. Bernie Madoff's name before in their lives because they had trusted their financial managers. Their financial mm-hmm. managers had given the money to Madoff. And they wake up one morning, in some cases, to an email that says, bad news. Yeah, You know, the that retirement that you Your were getting ready gone. to do? done and one of the one of the um folks who was swindled was like you know the i had been preparing my whole life because i didn't want to be old and poor in america because being old and poor Mm. in america is one of the worst things that you could be it's just Mm. a an awful place to be and he was suddenly staring that down and it is no wonder that some of the people who were swindled in this 
there were people who um, die by suicide, including yeah. one of Bernie Madoff's sons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine having to turn in your father, having to have this public scandal lay at your feet. So certainly, people blame them as well, whether they are involved or not. But it's you know, if it's your father, surely you had to know all of those sort of accusations around his family. Um, that's that was really really tough. Seeing the legacy or the fallout of all of this, Bernie Madoff's family is completely destroyed. Yeah. Um, on the second anniversary of his 46-year-old son, Mark, was found dead in his Manhattan apartment. He had committed suicide. His other son died of cancer four years later. Madoff has died. He died in 2021. But, you know, at that time, Madoff was in prison because in 2009, March of 2009, a few months after all this went down, he pled guilty, 11 felony counts against them. He sort of explained the whole the whole scheme and a judge sentenced him to 150 years behind bars called his actions extraordinarily evil. I mean, this is what gets me about Madoff. I don't feel like he is very repentant. I don't feel like he felt very bad at all. I mean, he sort of like braggadociously was like, eh, prison's not that bad. You know, like, I think there was a time in which he had wanted to do interviews to sort of like keep the limelight going a little bit. There's some narcissism there for sure. And I think that's, an even bigger rub, you know, that fact that you got had by someone who could care less about your misfortune. Um, he asked Trump for a pardon in 2019. The Trump administration didn't deny it. They just kind of ignored that request. But yeah, um, they made no comment in response to that request. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, look, we're here mostly to talk about that story, but I think you can't help but look at some of this. And like we were saying earlier, ask these questions about kind of what exactly is our financial system built on? What is the line between pushing the envelope and optimizing financial returns and, you know, fraud? And, you know, I think all of us are tied up in this in some way. You know, I invest for my retirement and like at some level, I'm like trusting someone and I trust that they are doing it in a way that is responsible and will lead to returns. But, you know, I think more than anything, we see that this stuff just keeps cycling back and back and back. And we've yeah. certainly seen that over the last year or two. I mean, now you get the the grannies and papas that kept $10,000 under their mattresses, yeah. you know, like you said, it always, I mean, these are, you know, you think about the stories of the Great Depression or whatever, where people are constantly pocketing money. But um, I think that's very common in the black community too, where there's distrust of banks and, yeah. and investing and where is it going? And so there are a lot of people that keep money uh, within their homes, God forbid it burns down or something happens. But like this distrust is not just about how you invest it's about the whole system yeah. of capitalism really yeah. and in addition to a, a lack of regulation or the willingness to return to financial tools like subprime mortgages and adjustable rate mortgages that um, we know have caused problems in the past there is also this larger cultural ethos that if your money isn't making money, then you're doing something wrong, then you're dumb, then you're a rube, then you don't know how to handle money. And that there is this kind of expectation, especially absent a robust government social safety net, that you have to find a way to provide yeah. for yourself um, after you retire. So let's say you don't retire until you're 75, which is considered kind of old in the US for retiring. Mm -hmm. There's a good chance mm -hmm. you could live for another 20 
to 30 years that you will need advanced life care. And the government isn't going to help you with that. So it's not just that there's a kind of greed ethos. But there is a kind of this is the system that we've come to rely on as our safety net. And and I mean, honestly, even with, you know, all the crypto stuff that's going on here, that's that's been going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, there's a lot of stories and you can sort of laugh or dismiss at stories of like, you know, Miami bros or whatever trading in crypto. But there there were a lot of people. I think we're going to hear more and more of these stories to your point, Mm -hmm. Nikki, who saw it as a way to level up and to sort of break a Mm -hmm. generational cycle and to really get, you know, to just reach up and try and grab something and they got fleeced and they lost a lot. And I think we'll hear, you know, we'll continue to see those stories. And um, you're right. I mean, you're so right. It's, it's like, there's this underlying desperation um, that leads a lot of people to, to take these kinds of risks. Yeah. Especially I think when you're a senior citizen, because the idea that you'll get a job or you can always make more money um, is, is not really always the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, we will leave it there. Pretty depressing, but <laughs> here we are. Yeah. Um, okay, that brings us to the end of the episode. Nicole Hemmer, thanks to you. Thank you, Jody. And Kelly Carter-Jackson, thanks to you. My pleasure. It is, as you may have heard, an election year. But do you feel like you have a lot of choices? Here are the new candidates, same as the old candidates. How did we get here again? The fact is our democracy is broken. We can all feel it and there's data to back it up too. A Princeton University study found that public opinion has near zero impact on what laws are passed. You know what does have an impact though? Money. You can call it lobbying, you can call it super PAC spending, you can call it corruption. But luckily, there are things we can do right now to fix this broken system. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group that's banding together to make our democracy better. We're working with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization fighting to end corruption city by city and state by state. You can join the movement too. Go to represent.us slash podcast to find out more. Radiotopia. Radiotopia.